So, surprise! <laughs> hey, so um, we're taking we're taking a break. I appreciate that. We're taking a break from uh, our study through Philippians this morning, and we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter two, and we're going to talk about Christmas because it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, actually. <laughs> Um, and Matthew's gospel is, um, the, the theme of it is Jesus is King. So I think it's super fitting to, to take a look at Matthew this morning and, and talk about Christmas. I don't know about you, but I get excited this time of year. Christmas is awesome. You know, the, the world has kind of hijacked our holiday. Made it about lights and trees and dinners and all, and all that stuff is great, but it's kind of not the meaning. I mean... I saw yesterday, it blew my mind. It was a Christmas whale. Somebody took like lights and made a whale, and then the blowhole was shooting presents out. And I was like, man, like I thought Santa was something. This is next level, you know. But that's how far we've, got, we've gone from the original meeting. We got Christmas whales now, you know. And uh, <laughs> anyway, um, we all know in this place this morning what the meaning is. Christmas is all about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. But you know, if you were to ask a little kid what Christmas is all about, what are they going to tell you? Santa Claus, maybe, but Santa Claus is a means to an end, which is presents, right? It could be a Christmas whale. They don't care. They, you know, as long as there's presents involved. So... Presents, you know, and I heard this story of a barber. He he was so tired because his, his kids kept finding the presents. You parents, you know, you try to hide them. They always find them, especially the older they get. They just get real clever like that, you know. And so he came up with this idea um, with his neighbor. What he was going to do is he would they would they would trade the gifts. So he would he would hide his gifts at his neighbor's house, and his neighbor would hide his kids' gifts at his house. And then that way, if the kids found the gifts, it was like, whatever. And so they just let it go. The kids found them, and they're just like, eh. And then on Christmas morning, his kids look out the window and see some other kid riding on the bike they thought they were going to get, you know. It's a little tip for you parents. It's freebie. There you go. If you're struggling with that. And to a kid, Christmas is all about gifts. It's all about presents. But, you know, like they're not that far off because Christmas is all about a gift, right? It's the gift of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus, right? The, the Father giving us his only Son. You know, what, is, what does it say? The, the classic passage, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And Romans um, 6, uh, 20, I always forget the wages of sin is death. Sorry, 623. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? It's all about a gift, really. It's all about the gift of Jesus. And when it comes to the Christmas story, it's really wonderful. I think with all the stuff going on and the busyness, we forget. But the story is wonderful. And you, you take a look at you know, the, the, the virgin birth. You take a look at the, the shepherds in the field and the, you know, the heavens parting and the angels and all this stuff that you see in the Christmas story in the scriptures. There's one word that I give to it, and it's wonder. It's just wonder. It's like, wow, this is so incredible, the birth of our Lord. 
And today we're going to take a look at one small piece of the story. We're going to look at the, the story of the wise men. Okay, and um, that's found in Matthew chapter 2. So we're going to look at um, the first 12 verses of chapter 2, but just to start, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. So let's check this out. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born, who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you've found him, bring back word to me that I, come, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was." Let's pray and dedicate this time to the Lord. God, we, we thank you uh, for this time that we could be together as a church family and just take a look at your word. And um, I, I believe, I, I know this is a real classic passage and we've all heard it many times, but uh, Lord, I pray that you apply it to our hearts in a new way this morning, that God, you would speak to each and every one of us right where we're at in our lives. Um, this, this time of the year can sometimes be brutal for some of us. And there's some here this morning that are super stressed out. And Lord, there's just, we, we come with a lot of stuff going on. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show up and, and you would be that light to our, our, our path and, and that lamp to our feet, God. And you would speak to us through your matchless word. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so we, we find... Uh, it's translated uh, here that they're, they're called wise men, okay? And, and in the Greek, it's, it's the word magi. And magi were soothsayers, interpreters of dreams, stars, and mystical writings. Uh, they were fortune tellers. They were not Jews. They came from the, you know, the ancient area of Babylon. These guys didn't know Yahweh. They were far from God. They were card-carrying pagans, okay? <laughs> That's who these guys were. Crystal balls and all that kind of stuff. Like, that was their deal. They were Gentiles. Now, the old, the old Christmas song says, We three kings from Orient are bearing gifts. We come from afar. Is that biblically accurate? No. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I, 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 I hope not. <laughs> well, were they kings? We don't know. The scripture doesn't make clear whether they were kings or not. There, there is an Old Testament prophecy where, where they kind of get the idea for this in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. That says, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So they could be. Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. It's hard to tell. In church tradition, um, these three kings were eventually given names. Did you know that? 
Casper, Malchior, and Balthazar. Ever heard those names before? Church tradition kind of, oh, and then they were given personalities. This is how we do. We just start tacking stuff on, you know what I mean? They were given personalities. One was like an older, wiser magi. And then there was like a younger, more, you know, impetuous magi. And then there was one like in the middle somewhere, you know, and these were the three kings. And the Catholic Church actually has the three skulls of these magi in a cathedral in Germany if you want to pay a small price and go check them out. But here's the reality, okay? And I don't mean to burst your Christmas bubble. Um, this is all kind of legend, actually. You know, um, we don't know if they were kings, and we don't know if there's three of them. We come up with the idea that there's three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there could have been way more. Could have been one, you know, two guys. We don't really know exactly. And, you know, back then it was, it was um, common for, for, you know, a big caravan of people to move through the desert like that because it was pretty dodgy passing through the desert, you know, with just a few guys. So there could have been 75 of them. But that doesn't sound good in the song, does it? We 75 kings from Orient. I mean, that's just like, no one can sing that, you know. Won't sell records that way. But verse 2 it says, we have seen his star in the east. Okay, so the, the, these magi, they say, we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, it's real common for these Gentiles, because they didn't know God, to look up at the sky at night, no artificial light. It was probably amazing to see, and, uh, and look up and just go, wow. And anytime they saw something irregular, to them it, it meant something. This, this was something about their future. This is important. You know, this comet flying through the sky. And they looked up and they saw a star that was moving slowly. And they were like, we better follow this thing. But my question is, how did they know that it had anything to do with the king of the Jews? That they needed to follow this thing to worship the king of the Jews? They call it his star? Where did they get that? They're Gentiles. They can go to synagogue. Crazy. Can I tell you what I think? It, maybe? Okay, okay. Um, um, you remember the Babylonian captivity, right? The, the, um, the Jews were in captivity for like 80 years. And, uh, you know, that's where Daniel writes all that stuff that went down there. And, uh, you know, they knew about the Jews. I mean, the Jews kind of left a mark if you think about it, I mean, three guys get thrown into a fiery furnace and they don't burn up. You'll remember that. You know what I mean? You, another guy gets thrown into a lion's den, doesn't leave with a scratch. I'd say the Jews left an impression. You know what I mean? And we know that Daniel was elevated and that he became over all of the wise men. Interesting. Wonder if they had access to his writings. Wonder if maybe they were waiting for the promised Messiah. And as soon as they saw that star, they're like, it's time. And they came to Jerusalem and in search for the Messiah. Now, what I so love about these guys is the tenacity. I mean, they left their homes, their families, their jobs. They went through this crazy trek through the desert to go worship. To go worship the king of the Jews. They were passionate. Pushed all things aside. They're like, we're going. We're going for this. And it's crazy to me because how did the Pharisees respond? 
Man, that's a good study. Through the Gospels. How did the Pharisees respond? Just answer that question in all the, every time you see the Pharisees. They never respond good. Did you ever notice that? But notice verses 4 and 5. It says this. It says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, In, Be in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written. And then they, they quote the, the prophecy out of Micah. But you know, it's crazy, isn't it? They knew. He's like two cities over. The king is born. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go back to bed. That was the attitude of the Pharisees. They're not, let's go. The king is here. Let's go check it out. They're just completely indifferent. And you know, it's, it's a scary thing when we become kind of, you know, real familiar with, with the, the truths in Scripture. You know what I mean? Where there's a real familiarity. And it's, I already know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already heard that. I heard somebody say this week, they don't read the Bible because they already know what it says. I was like, what? How dare? I was like waiting for lightning. I'm like, you know, like, I'm serious. I was just like, you can't just say that, you know? Because, you know, it's, it's true. Like, like, but we can get this way, especially us that have been walking with the Lord for a while. I've been walking with the Lord for like over 20 years. And it's real easy for me to kind of lose the wonder, lose the wonder of knowing the King of Kings. You know what I mean? Like you think about when you were first born again. Remember how crazy that was? You were just like free from stuff and you're just like passionate. You know, worship goes and you're just a puddle of tears. You know what I mean? You couldn't put this book down. You're just like, oh, got to know what it says. And then you get a little older in the Lord. It's like, I already know this song. You know, or whatever, you know? And we just lose that passion. And it's not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be like these wise men, just pushing it all aside. I just want to know him. I just want, I'm, I'm here to worship him. You know what I mean? We shouldn't, you know, Pastor Barry always talks about how he's been up since 3 a.m. That should be us too. Like, I can't wait to get to church and worship and hear from the word. I can't wait. That's how we should be too. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, I'm kind of jumping ahead in Philippians. Sorry, Barry. And um, in uh, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind me, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, he was passionate. Amen. He was passionate. He'd been a Christian for a long time. He didn't allow the truths of God to get, he didn't allow himself to get familiar with those things. He remained passionate about it. And that's how we're supposed to be too. So verse two, um, it says, we have seen his star in the east and we come to worship him. Now, um, I'm sorry, that's not what I wanted to say. I was reading over something I already said. <laughs> that happens sometimes. Man. You know what's cool, though, about the Christmas story? You know what's really cool about it? Like, as we scratch a little deeper, it's just wonderful. I know I already said that, but it's just wonderful. And I encourage you, like, during this time of the year, don't get bombarded with all the, you know, the exteriors. Like, spend some time in Matthew. Spend some time in the Gospel of Luke and look into it because it's awesome. Because you, know, like, you know like when you go, go to the beach 
and you look out at the, at the water. There's a lot of water there, and it's blue, and it's cool to look at it, you know? But man, like you can get kind of bored just staring at the water, but then you put some snorkeling gear on, and you go look at what's in there, and you go look at all the plant life, and the, you know, the starfish, and seahorses, and tropical fish, and you're like, wow, it's amazing in there. And a lot of times with Christmas, we're just sitting on the shore, just staring at it, waiting for it to be done, because it's so stressful. <laughs> but I, as Christians, man, we gotta jump in, put the snorkeling gear on, and just seek him, and just let him like bring that wonder back, and, and bring back what Christmas is really all about. Because unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, who was Herod? Who, well, he's, he's known as Herod the Great. So, you know, you first hear that, you're like, oh, sounds like a good guy pretty great, you know, but, but he actually, um, he built tons in Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, uh, including a complete renovation of the Jewish temple. Um, he, uh, he was a strong leader. Uh, with the help of Rome, he defeated all of the, anyone that stood in his way. Um, he was politically gifted. He was loyal to Rome, and he was an excellent administrator. Some of you guys are like, that's not what I remember hearing about Herod the Great. You know what I mean? He's got, you know, most of us have heard he is a pretty bad dude, right? And um, he was a sort of good leader, but he had a big time character flaw. He was insanely jealous. In he was always worried that someone was going to take his power from him. And if you've met anybody insanely jealous before, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty insane, actually, you know? And, uh, you know, they're kind of like not glasses half, half empty people. They're like, the glass is empty or you're going to steal whatever is left in the glass at any moment. You know what I mean? And, and Herod got so bad. He, it just kept getting worse and worse that he killed his wife. He killed his wife's mother and he killed three of his sons because he was worried that they were trying to take his power from him. Caesar said it's safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. That's where Herod was at. And we see this clearly in verse 16 of chapter 2, if you read ahead, where Herod um, was so threatened by this baby Jesus uh, lying in a manger that in his prideful rage, he um, ordered to have all the male children executed in the town of Bethlehem. It was because he was threatened by a baby. Is that weird? You ever been threatened? You hold a baby and you're just like, you are a threat to me. Like, you're so eloquent and coordinated. I mean, it's like, it's a baby. You know what I mean? Like, what's, what threat does a baby? It's just a baby. But Herod was terrified of this baby, threatened by this baby. More on that in a minute. The wise men come to Jerusalem in search of what? They're in search of a king. They're in search of the king, and they come, they're looking for the king of the Jews. Well, Herod was sort of, kind of, in a way, a king of the Jews. Wouldn't you say so? And I'm sure he wined him, and I'm sure he dined him, and I'm sure he showed him his palace, and I'm sure he showed how powerful he was, and all his servants, and all the rest. 
But they walked away going like, that wasn't what we were looking for. That's not the king I was looking for. You know, he's a king, but he's not the king. They were looking for the king. They weren't satisfied with Herod. And you know what? Like as, as human beings, God has wired us to want something more than what this world has to offer. And maybe you're here, you don't know the Lord, and you're just like, I'm restless. I, I feel, I gotta, there's just something inside. I'm longing, and I don't know what I'm longing for. And a lot of us in our lives, like we've made other things king. And it's just a king. It's not the king. A lot of people, they make money king. And they pursue that thing, make sacrifices for that thing, live for that thing. Other people make sex king. Other people make power and, and pleasure and popularity king. And none of those things are big enough to satisfy this longing desire deep inside of us. We're not looking for a king. We're looking for the king. And that was what these wise men were doing. They were in search for the king. Her anything else? Anything else is just Herod sitting on his tipsy-turby, you know, throne that's ready to just get kicked out at any minute. It's not big enough to satisfy our longing hearts. Some people make self-king, self-made man, master of my own destiny, and they put themselves up on the throne of their lives. That's what Herod did. That's why he was so threatened by a baby. Listen, if self, if you put yourself up on the throne of your life, you're going to be threatened so badly because there's always going to be someone smarter than you, someone with more money than you, someone more beautiful than you, someone with a fancier car, bigger house. The list goes on. And if you're trying to be king of your life, you're always going to be threatened. And that's how, that's how Herod was. Christmas is, a wonderful, is, is wonderful, but it's also kind of threatening when you think about it. Because Jesus, laying in that manger, he came to dethrone all other kings. Didn't he? <clears throat> a lot of people are happy to talk about Jesus as a historical figure, as a great teacher. But the minute you start talking about him as king... That he came to rule and reign over our lives. That's another conversation, isn't it? A lot of people aren't real comfortable with that. Some of you guys here aren't very comfortable with that. <laughs> kind of like, uh, we shouldn't have come. I told you we shouldn't have come. <laughs> because we want control of our lives, don't we? We want to have the final say. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. We're fine with a baby in a manger, but not a king over our lives. Man, I heard this story, okay, from another pastor. He's talking about this guy in his church who had a wife and three girlfriends. I kid you not, he was in the church, not this church. Right? Mike's like, no. You know, security would have that sorted out in a minute. It was a different church. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, um, this guy called himself a Christian, and, uh, and the wife obviously wasn't cool with the setup, 
went and told the elders, and the elders went and confronted this guy. You know, and, and, um, and, and the guy said, you know what? Jesus is the savior of my life, but he's not my Lord. And then he had a verse. How cute is that? He had a verse. Oh, you have a verse? Oh, let's hear it. And he quoted, he quoted um, uh, Romans 5, verse 20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I have this suspicion that that's a little out of context. <laughs> Don't you? That's very out of context, actually. And you can't just go around doing every naughty thing you want to do and then just quote that verse. That's not how it works. Look, I'm really, really thankful and will be for my whole life and on into eternity for, for the forgiveness that Jesus gives me through his blood. His blood is powerful, okay? To cancel out completely my sin debt, past, present, and future. But, but, but you can't just use that verse like that. You know what I mean? Because it's out of context. That's the end of Romans chapter 5, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. But then you come into chapter 6, and what does it say? What shall we say to these things? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? You can't just pick out a little piece. It's like the Jenga tower, you know? You take the wrong one out, and it's just like... And that's, that's that kind of theology. It doesn't work. Listen, Jesus didn't only come and die and bring us forgiveness of our sins. He came to bring us a new life, right? A brand new heart, totally new desires and totally new passions. We're not the same as we used to be. We don't desire to go back to that weird old broken life. We're excited about what he's given to us. Right? New desires and a, a new kingdom that we live under and a new king. Not just a king, but the king. Right? Well, if you skip ahead to verse 12, we see that, that these wise men, they like, we'll, we'll get to it, but, but these wise men, they came in and they, they saw Jesus and then it says that they left another way. They went back to their country another way. And that's what happens when you meet Jesus you leave another way. You're not the same as you used to be. You don't go out the same way. You leave out another way. Amen? Yeah. Let's go ahead and take a look at verses 10 through 12. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. You know, um, this is so crazy. It's so crazy to me. I mean, Gentile kings, they, they come all this way. They see Herod and they're like, nah, that's not it. And then they go to this manger. They poke their heads in there. And there's a, two, this young couple. You know, Mary was 13, 14 years old. Young couple, super poor. You know what I mean? And then a baby in a feed trough. And they're like, oh, this is it. And they bow before him and present these gifts to him of gold, 
the costly things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Costly gifts. They didn't poke their heads in and go, no, this isn't what we're looking for. They hit the deck. They fall down and they bow before him. Isn't this amazing? This is just incredible to me. It's wonderful. You know, I think about Christmas, and I think about how we complicate it so much. Don't we? We make it all about so many other things, like making sure that all the gifts, the perfect gifts, are bought the perfect time, before Christmas Eve, got to get it done, and then it's just like, hangs on. We're going to have a magical moment as a family. We're going to put all the ornaments on the tree. We're going to drink eggnog, and it's going to be magical. Kids, get down here. We're going to have a magical moment. Like, no, I'm busy. No, get down here. It's going to be magical. You know what I mean? It's like we put all this pressure on these moments. You know what I mean? And it's like, what is that? What is that? We make it all about what we're going to eat. So what are we going to eat for Christmas? I thought we talked about this already. You know, and it's just like this ends up being a fight. You know what I mean? And it's like, why do we put all this pressure on this thing? When it's like, it's crazy. Like, like you know the song, um, what is it called? Oh, the 12 days of Christmas. 12 days, of, Christmas is one day. It's not 12 days. That's stressful. 12 days of Christmas. And then it goes through all these things, right? Like all this, you know, like a seven swans a swimming. I mean, you know, lords a leaping. What is that? You know what I mean? And it just goes on and you're just like, this is, I heard that they added up like how much all that would cost. It's like 32 grand for all that stuff. Talk about a stressful Christmas. You're like, how did Christmas go? Well, I went into debt buying, you know, lords a leaping and what, you know, and it's like, and then it ends off like the whole crescendo is a partridge, which I don't even know what that is or where you get one. And it's sitting in a tree. Like, how are you going to present this thing to your true love? And it's sitting in a tree without moving. Like the whole thing is, you listen to the song and you're just like, I'm super stressed, you know, like this is just crazy, right? And it's amazing to me because because Christmas in and of itself, like according to scriptures, it's just there's a, there's a profound beauty to it. There's a simple beauty to it, and we make it complicated. And we just sit there and you look at it, and it's like, wow, our God is amazing, you know? You know, you look at these wise men. They pushed all the hindrances aside to get to that king of the Jews, and then they just worship. You know, that's what the, the, the Greek word worship is proskuneo, and it means to prostrate and submit, to bow down, to kiss the hand. It means profound reverence. And that's what they offered to him, profound reverence. And, um, you know, it's what made these guys wise, right? Yeah. C.H. Spurgeon said, when wise men seek our king, they are wise indeed. So just in closing, just in finishing up here, we see three different responses. Three different responses to this baby in a manger. Okay? We see the Pharisees who were super indifferent. Ah, whatever. Yeah, born in Bethlehem, whatever. Heard it a thousand times. Then we also see Herod, who was threatened by Jesus because he was the king of his own life and he was threatened by everybody and everything. And then we see the wise men come and worship and where do you find yourself this morning with our King of Kings and Lord of the Lords? And I'm not just talking about Christmas. I'm talking about in general. 
Where are you at with him? Is your relationship with him, have you fallen prey to that whole just indifference thing? Passion's gone. First love is gone. You used to be the like warrior on the mountain. Now you're just like laying in a hammock. You know, just like, where are you at this morning with him? You know, maybe, maybe it's like Herod. You have other things on the throne of your life. You know, you got other idols and things. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to be the master of your own destiny and you're just, you know, threatened by even talking about Jesus being Lord of all. But can I tell you, like, let's be wise people. Let's be those that push all the junk aside and truly, wholeheartedly surrender ourselves to him and give him everything. Everything. When was the last time, brothers and sisters, when was the last time you got real with him? And you said, like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a mess and I need you. Come be my everything again. Not just singing it in a song, but really, when was the last time you gave him everything? And you were real about it. I encourage you, like, that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Christmas is all about the gift that was given to us. The king of the universe laying in a manger. We learned this morning it's not just about that part, but it's also about our response. Our response to him. And I challenge you, I leave you with this. Will you worship? Will you worship him? Will you bow down at his feet? And Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time, God, in your word this morning. And um, this time of the year, it can be stressful. It can be busy. We can lose sight of what it really is all about. And I pray that we would be a people. We would be a church, Lord, that keeps the main thing the main thing. And hey, it's okay to have a tree. It's okay to have lights and presents and all the rest. But help us not to make that central. But help us, Lord, to put you in the center of this thing. And for those of us, Lord, that have maybe been a little indifferent, for those of us that have maybe allowed other things to take your place in our lives, God, I pray that you would just lead us to that place of absolute surrender again. We're your everything, and we're not messing around. I pray that you would stir in each of us a fresh passion for Jesus. That you would set a fire deep in our hearts, God. That we would take our walk with you so seriously. Holy Spirit, would you just bring back that freshness? Would you renew that joy, God, that first love experience? Where all we wanted was you. God, I just pray that you stir in us, each of us, Lord, a passion for your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this season. And we give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.